You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to 10 o'clock. Thank you. And thank you all for filling in the blank spots over here. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus is the most significant person in the history of the world. Our calendar measures time by his life. The most important holidays we have during the year, the most celebrated holidays in the year are Christmas and Easter, a, a remembrance of his birth and of his resurrection. Millions upon millions of people have in the past or are today worshiping Jesus as God. More songs were sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more books written about him than anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus once asked the question, who do you say that I am? And your answer to that says so much. In fact, it's the most important thing about you, about your life, about your destiny. The passage that we're going to look at today is perhaps the richest single section in all of human history regarding the deity of Christ. For you note takers, you can put this at the top of your notes if you want to. This passage stirs our affections for Christ and causes us to stand in awe of Christ. The passage that we're about to read together is going to fire up, I hope, our affections for Christ. The passage that we're about to read, I hope, causes us to stand back one more time in awe of who he is. What this passage does not do is simply give us some cold information about Jesus. What it does not do is cause us to be indifferent. It was C.S. Lewis that gave us the options that either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And I am saying that if he is a liar or a lunatic, then go live your life however you want to live your life. But if he is the Lord, give him everything and bow down before him. Let's go to the book of Colossians together, chapter one. We're just walking verse by verse through this great New Testament book during this summer, and I hope that you'll join us for this. Colossians is the 12th book in the New Testament, if that helps a little bit. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Let's go to chapter 1. We made it to verse 12 last week. First 12 verses of Colossians chapter 1 basically allows us to eavesdrop on some prayers of Paul and how he was praying for the people there at Colossae, how he was praying for the church, how he was praying for the Colossians. And then there's a, there's a shift. It begins very personal. Here's, here's what I'm praying about. Here's how I'm praying for you. And then he begins to, to change into this deeper thought of who Christ is. So let's pick it up here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He, and that pronoun refers to God. God has delivered us. Us refers to the pronoun for those who are in Christ. God has delivered Christians, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, verse 15, this pronoun refers to Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of these statements are exclusive to Jesus. All of these statements are true of Jesus and nobody else. So let's go into this passage together and let's allow our affections to be stirred for him today. Let us once more stand back in awe of this Savior. First of all, in Jesus, we are purchased and cleared. We are bought and forgiven. Go back into your passage. Oh, I hope you did not close your Bible. Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, we were delivered from the domain of darkness, literally the jurisdiction of darkness, uh, literally the, the, the power of darkness, the authority of of darkness. Uh, that word transferred right there means that we were removed from it, although I think the word transferred is, is absolutely perfect here. That's how the ESV renders this. God removed us from being in a dark domain in which there was hopelessness and even worse than that, death. Then he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so now, Christian, we are in Christ and Christ is in us and no one can change that. We were bought back by Jesus. Verse 14, that's what that word redemption means. We were purchased. We were bought back. We were owned. And then our lives were cleared of sin. That's that word there in verse 14, the forgiveness of sin. So just know this, for those who are in Christ, not only have you been purchased, that's great news. I might have better news for you than that. You've been cleaned and cleared as well. He has forgiven you from all of our past. In Jesus, we are purchased and cleared. Secondly, we've seen this passage that Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Look at the beginning of verse 15. He, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus accurately reflects God. He is the image of God. The author of Hebrews will tell us later on he's the exact representation of God, just like a mirror reflects accurately. I woke up this morning and looked in the mirror. It was tragic. Sadly, it looked just like me. My, my eyes were puffy. The hair that I used to have has gone to be with the Lord. My, my nose was still broken. But it was a very accurate reflection of John Durham. Jesus accurately reflects God. There is no distortion in that at all, which is why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So everything that we would want to know or need to know about God, we see perfectly in the person and the work 
of Jesus Christ. So you may ask the question today is, is God really loving? Well, we see in the New Testament that Jesus loved people. Jesus loved all people. So we know because Christ is an exact representation, an accurate reflection of God, that God himself, he, he is rich in love. You may be here today asking the question, does God care about me? Well, Jesus cared about people, especially those who are disillusioned by the things of life. And so you can know today, because Christ cared for people, God cares about you deeply. Does God have mercy? Is God full of mercy? Well, Jesus showed mercy to all around him, especially those who desperately needed mercy. So God is unmatched in his mercy toward, toward us. When we, we've seen Christ and we know Christ, we know the Father. A, a little boy was, was drawing a picture one, one morning in, in Sunday school and the teacher came up behind him and said, what, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. The Sunday school teacher said, no one has ever seen God before. We don't know what he looks like. And the boy said, when I get done with this picture, they will know what he looks like. <laughs> if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus Christ, like father, like son. Next, Jesus is the ruler of creation. Look at verse 15, the second part of verse 15. He is, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he has the highest Rank. This is not a reference of time. He's not the first person born in, in creation because Christ was not born into creation. He's the highest of all creation. He is, in the Greek word here, prototokos, a top-ranking one of all creation. In ancient times, the, the firstborn uh, was, was the superior one. The firstborn meant that you were the heir. You had the rights of, of inheritance. The firstborn had the rights of privilege and honor. And as a firstborn myself, I kind of like that idea. Amen, firstborns out there? Okay, 10 of y'all, thanks. Y'all are really brave. Here's practically what this means. Practically, this means Jesus first. If you want to apply this passage to your Monday morning, Jesus first in our relationships, Jesus first in our marriages, Jesus first in our, in our finances, Jesus first in our calendar, Jesus first in our motivations, in our thoughts, in our free time. It's like a compass. A compass doesn't help until you establish true north. And once true north is established, then everything orients around it. It's the same in our lives. Once we put Jesus First, Christ first, and everything else orients around Jesus. Next, Jesus is creator and designer of the universe. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the things we see, the visible, the things we do not see, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the seen and the unseen, the tangible, the intangible, the, the spiritual realm, the, the natural realm, it was all created for Christ and by Christ. The entire universe, not just the things that we can see, not just the things here on, on beautiful planet Earth, but the entire cosmos were created by Christ and for Christ. I mean, we step back and consider that, that the massive nature of the creation and the creativity of Christ. If you were to take our sun and bore a hole into it, you could drop about 1.2 million Earths inside of our sun and probably still have room for 1 million moons. 
The next star to us, Alpha Centauri, is 150% larger than our sun. And then that incredible star, Betelgeuse, uh, 642 light years away, which means that the light that you see from Betelgeuse left about 100 years before Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and we're just now seeing the light from Betelgeuse. By the way, you can't see it in the month of June because it's attached to the Orion constellation that we won't see until September. But that is such a massive planet that the diameter of Betelgeuse is the same diameter as the Earth's orbit around the sun. Who made this? Who designed all that stretches our minds to even imagine? Scripture tells us Jesus. He made creation and he made it good. And one day he'll come back and redeem it and bring it all to the glory that was originally intended. Can you imagine the stars being more glorious? Can you imagine our universe being more glorious? And yet Christ is coming back to the thing that he designed, he created for him and by him to redeem all things. All things were created through him and for him. In other words, no one in this room lives a completely autonomous life. We were created by Christ and for Christ. We will return to Christ. So all the created in here one day will stand before the creator and give an account of our lives. Next, Jesus has no beginning or end. Look at the beginning of verse 17. And he is before all things. This is a great statement about the eternal nature of Christ. Jesus is eternal. Christ has always been. Whatever exists now, whatever has existed at any point in history, Jesus was before that. Remember, he's not the created. He is the creator. This means Jesus isn't just a man. And so when scripture tells us right here that he is before all things, that can only mean one thing. And here it is. Jesus is God. He's not a mere mortal who lives solely within a window of time 2,000 years ago. He was alive before creation. He is alive today. And Jesus Christ will be alive forevermore. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And Jesus sustains all things. Look at the middle of verse 17. And in him, all things hold together. For those of y'all who feel comfortable writing in your Bible, circle that word all right there in verse 17. That, that's an important thing that Jesus holds all things together. He sustains all things. By the way, the, the small passage we just read has the word all in there seven times. Let me just show it to you. If you want to circle all of them, verse 15 all creation. Verse 16, all things. Verse 16, all things. Verse 17, all things. Verse 17, all things. Verse 19, all the fullness of God. Verse 20, all things. You're probably picking up on a theme. All things here in verse 17 are held together by Jesus. See, this isn't deism. Deism says that God created the world and all the natural laws, and then he just walked away from it. But that's not what's happening here. Jesus not only creates, he sustains everything that he has created. He holds it all together. So sing a song with me. <clears throat> Clear your throats. If you want to, you can just finish the last word of this, each of these lines if you don't know this song really well. 
He's got the whole world in his He's got the whole world in his He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's great theology. A little repetitive in the lyrics, but it is great theology. He created all things, then he sustains all things. He holds all things. He holds all things together. Listen, here's the practical of that. He holds together in his hands what our hands cannot hold together. So if your marriage is falling apart because you're trying to hold on to it with your own hands, give it to Jesus. If your relationship with your kids are beginning to fall apart, it is strained because you're trying to hold on to it with your own hands, give it to Jesus. If your emotions are falling apart because you're trying to hold yourself together by your own might, your own strength, give it to Jesus. If your days are chaotic, your schedule is chaotic because you're trying to develop it with your own hands, give it to Jesus. If your life is falling apart, stop holding on to your life with your own hands and give it to Jesus. Take things out of your feeble hands and give it to the mighty hand of God. He sustains all things. Next, Jesus is the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. I know today, because I, 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 I read social media, I know it's fashionable to be anti-church. I know the trend line of our culture today is to be church critical. But we should love the church. Not only because the church being the bride of Christ, but we see here that Christ is the head of the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is devoted to the church in this covenantal love. Now, I'll go on record because we all know this. The church is not perfect but a perfect Jesus in his perfect timing will perfect his church. Jesus is constantly pumping his own life into the church. He gives direction to the church by the authority and the counsel of his word. So there's no higher authority in the church other than Jesus. He is the head. There are no equals at all. No one is in competition. Christ alone is the head. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will say this, and it can just land where it needs to land. But we don't want Highland led by consumers or cynics or complainers. We want this church led by Christ. Next, Jesus is the supreme one raised. This is interesting. Verse 18, he is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Some of your Bible translations might say so. In everything he might be supreme. He is the firstborn from the dead. Not that he's the first person ever resurrected. There were three resurrections in the Old Testament. Jesus himself resurrected three people in the New Testament before the cross. So we're not talking about him being the first to be raised from the dead, but of all who have been raised from the dead or will be raised from the dead, he is the supreme one raised. Because only his resurrection guarantees our resurrection into eternal life. He is preeminent, meaning there is no one like our Savior. He is above all. He is supreme. Next is our Affections are stirred for him. Jesus is fully God. 
Verse 19, for in him, here's that operative word again, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the only founder, if you will, of a world religion who claimed to be God, and they killed him. But he came back and said, I told you so. Loose, loose translation. All of God, all of his fullness was pleased to dwell. In other words, God's presence was happy to dwell in Christ. And I'll give you a little teaser for two weeks from now. All the fullness of God being poured into all the fullness of Christ. Listen, we find out later on, all of that is also poured into us. All of God, into all of Jesus, into all of his people. Come back for that one. Jesus Christ is God. All of God into all of Christ. Next, Jesus then is our reconciler to God. We see this in, in verse 20. And through him to reconcile, that's to, to bridge back together or to bring back together. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We were separated from God. Our relationship with God was severed by our sin and we needed to be reconciled. We did not have peace with God because we declared war on God when we chose sin over him. R.C. Sproul would call it the, the great cosmic treason. The only way we can have peace is if our treason is dealt with. And Jesus comes and turns enemies into family. But only through his sacrifice, only through his blood on the cross. Now, let me ask you a question. You're very welcome to raise your hand on this. I'll, I'll raise my hand on this. Maybe it's kind of a heavy question or a difficult question, but how many of you would die for a family member, for a spouse, a parent, a, a, a child? Would you just... You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I would be willing to lay my life down for, for like a, someone I loved dearly. Okay, thank you. Good to see a sacrificial church. What if I asked you the question, how many of y'all would be willing to lay your life down for your worst enemy? Probably not as many hands. What a savior we have in Jesus. We weren't born close friends to God. We were his enemies. We chose the rebellion. We chose the cosmic treason. And yet he poured out his life, his blood for us. I'll say it again. What a savior we have in this Jesus. This passage, I'll say it again, is probably one of the richest passages in any text anywhere, much less scripture itself speaks of the, the deity of Christ. When we hear this passage, oh, it should, in God's people, stir affections once more for Christ. It should cause us one more time to, to stand back in awe of, of a Savior who is like this. So if you'd allow me, would you stand, please, and let me read this passage over us, over his people today. And once more, to allow your heart to be stirred, to be lit up, with the reality of who Jesus is. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There are only two options in response to this passage. Either say there is no Jesus or fall at his feet and worship him. Either tell him 100% yes or 100% no. But in a king like this, you can't just say maybe. So yawn in his general direction or follow him all the days of your life. Would you bow your head and your heart as we pray? Father, we stand in awe of this Savior, your perfect son that you sent, your fullness poured into him, and you were happy about it, pleased to dwell. As the recipients today of such a kind God, a loving God, a sacrificial God, our hearts are on fire today that this is the Jesus who would come for us. This is Jesus, the one who is closer than a friend. This is Jesus, the Son of God, our personal Savior, whose blood was spilled for us. And we stand, quite literally, we stand in awe of a Savior like this. Our hearts are stirred. Our affections are lit up. Our attention is set on you. And so as your people, we sing this song that Jesus, you are worthy of your name. 